0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is July the 27th, 2022. As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco on the edge of the metaverse, that was a joke, on the edge of Silicon Valley, certainly the heart of technology. The metaverse has been getting a lot of press recently. Very interesting piece in the New York Times yesterday about how Mark Zuckerberg is trying to transform Facebook into meta and he's trying to colonize, appropriate, use whatever word you want, the internet. Um, uh, for Meta and essentially seize the metaverse. Um, the New York Times suggests that this is another bet the company gamble, which may succeed, may not, who knows for the moment. But it certainly suggests that Zuckerberg believes in the metaverse and he's probably not alone. According to The Verge, uh, Meta, Zuckerberg's Meta and Apple, the world, I think, still the largest, most valuable company are in a very deep philosophical competition to build and colonize the metaverse. Apple rumored to have their own device to enter the metaverse. We've done some shows before on the metaverse with the guy, Neil Stevenson, who invented the term, invented it 30 years ago in a novel called Snow Crash, He acknowledges that it was somewhat of a joke. He stumbled on it, but it nonetheless has maintained its credibility and now is a word in very common currency. And if you go to Wikipedia, the source of truth about everything, the metaverse has a very long entry. Most of us, though, are still slightly confused about what it means, which means that we need a book on the metaverse. And indeed, we do have one this week, The Metaverse and how it will revolutionize everything by Matthew Ball, who's joining us from Florida, a Florida which unfortunately um, has a number of power cuts. So ironically, Matthew will be joining us in audio, but not video. Matthew, welcome.
1: I'm really excited to be here. And I must admit, there's a part of me that loves when the internet or other infrastructure fails as I go about this quasi-press tour because it is a reminder of how hard, relatively mature or simple online activities are, which talks about how far we are from actually pulling off much of what we imagine the metaverse to do.
0: Sorry, go on, uh, Matt.
1: Well, that, that, was, that was just the end of the, the point. I'm excited to be here.
0: One of the things I like about the book, Matt, is that um, you do begin at the beginning of the internet, if not the metaverse. You talk about Vannevar Bush, you talk about the pioneers of the internet, and you suggest with the metaverse, we're at a similar beginning point. Um, Why, in your view, perhaps before we even get to that, perhaps you might define in, in your mind what the metaverse is and then explain why you think. It is indeed about to, borrowing some language from you, from the title of your subtitle of your book, revolutionize everything. So this is a fun place to start because we're really talking about
1: the whole gravity of the situation. So so let me zoom out a little bit. The metaverse, as you identified as a 30-year-old term, 1992's snow crash from Neal Stevenson. But of course, the ideas are nearly a century old. I write about Pygmalion's goggles, which is the first, or spectacles rather, which is the first known description of virtual reality goggles that came out in 1935. In the 1950s, giants such as Ray Bradbury and Philip K. Dick, Isaac Asimov, detailed virtuality at large, VR nurseries, holography, a culture organized around the creation of virtual worlds as playtime and as profession. What is new is that we can start to build these things. In truth, those technologies have been in development for decades, and that connects to the easiest way to understand the metaverse and why we can say it's maturing now, but not started today. And that is as a 3D version of the internet. This is why you see Mark Zuckerberg say it is a successor to the internet. This is why you see the Web3 community talk about it as the next internet The difference is this internet is predominantly three-dimensional and it is live. In contrast to today's internet, where essentially the only thing that we do that are live and multi-user are video calls, nothing else. Even when you see the New York Times live feed or you do instant messaging, those are not truly live, but the metaverse will be.
0: The metaverse, according, to Wikipedia is a hypothetical iteration of the internet as a single universal and immersive virtual world, which is another way of describing, I think, what you just said. Are we going to be aware, Matt, that we're in the metaverse? Do you believe that it's a place we will go to play, to have fun, to meet other people, but maintain our, our first lives? Of course, one of the first most successful, even if it wasn't particularly successful, ultimately shots at the metaverse was Second Life. Uh, Is the metaverse flattening First and Second Life? Will it?
1: Well, so this is a good question. I'll first highlight that one of the most fun things that I did as part of my research process was to comb through the decades of definitions of the metaverse as I attempted to build and stitch together my own, and you'll find that that English page, which you've pulled up, actually describes the metaverse very differently than the German page, and the German page does so in significantly more detail. But what is important is to understand the metaverse as the metaverse, with the definite article, not a singular article, not a metaverse, not metaverses, but the metaverse. And that's akin to how we think about the Internet. There is the Internet, not and internet. Yes, we have regional differentiations through regulatory regimes, most notably in China, but we're talking about the internet protocol suite, the underlying technologies upon which interconnection between all virtual or digital content is fostered. Under the classic definition of the metaverse, we're talking about a 3D version of the internet that essentially reaches all virtual worlds and digital content, physical and non-real. But that does not mean that we don't have isolated experiences consider the internet today open effectively a public good but that doesn't mean we don't have closed platforms like facebook or amazon it doesn't mean that we don't have paywalled content such as the new york times we should think about the commonalities which which facilitate interoperation the internet today spans nearly 200 countries 40,000 independent networks millions of servers, billions of websites, millions of applications, it supports 20% of the world economy and reaches billions of people in 25 billion devices. That doesn't mean that we don't have separation between these things, private protocols, private experiences. It doesn't mean that Amazon shares everything from Facebook but we talk about it as a unified internet and that's what's most likely to emerge here. The question is not whether there is the metaverse, though we will likely discard the term for another, but more around how much of the experience is built by individual companies, how much is isolated, that is to say, not exchanged, and perhaps how many of those new companies are wholly new versus reimagined versions of the companies we know today, Meta versus Facebook being one such example.
0: Uh, one of the best known meta companies is roblox uh the gaming company their twitter uh their their, their twitter account de- describes um uh bringing the world together to play create and explore and socialize within millions of 3d virtual worlds is that your vision of the metaverse to a place where millions of 3d worlds virtual worlds are brought together in the same way as The internet is a place where millions, tens of millions, probably billions of websites and networks and apps are brought together. That's precisely right. And I think what we see is different versions
1: of those experiences, right? Facebook is a tightly federated mini internet in some regards. You have billions of people who have their own web pages. There are other versions where you can have something like Squarespace, highly customizable or WordPress. And then you have the internet at large, loosely federated. This is why every website is quite different. And so we think of the metaverse as spanning virtually all virtual worlds, but we will have these clusters such as Roblox, these tight ecosystems, which are more similar, more integrated and bundle in other services, right? We don't think of the internet as having an identity system, but when you go on Facebook, You have both miniaturized versions of everyone's individual pages, plus identity and communications, server storage, and more.
0: You make the argument in the book that we're on the verge of something that's going to change everything because the technology is ready now. And I think that's right. It wasn't ready 10 or 15 years ago. It certainly wasn't ready with Second Life, which is why Second Life didn't succeed. But I'm still not convinced that people really want it. I understand people want immersive worlds to play games, but you need billions of people to be on this metaverse if it is to be the next iteration of the internet. Why do you believe most people, the billions of people in the world, need, want, and will enter the metaverse?
1: It's a great question. Let's start from recognizing that we're often on the internet without actively going on the internet. When you use a crosswalk and you press one of those buttons, obviously we know many of them are fake, but the inputs from one device to another often carry over in IP. When you check out of a grocery store or go to the bank, your transactions are recorded over the internet when you enter a building odds are that you're scanned via cameras that are on the internet your passcode authentication to enter door to door going over the internet and so we should recognize how much of it happens like that that's also likely to happen in the metaverse where we talk about virtual 3d live simulations when you go to an amazon go retail store they are using 3d analysis to track you as you walk through The facility to track the objects within the facility and as a result you need not check in you need not check out you just walk out of the store and you've automatically paid a good example of participating in the quote-unquote metaverse without actively doing so Johns hopkins university in the fall performed surgery using xr hardware this was an extended reality virtual reality and augmented reality device which facilitated what they considered to be faster, easier, cheaper, and safer surgery, i.e. a better patient outcome. But more broadly, we try to look at the underlying relevance here. Every time we have fundamentally transformed who accesses computing and networking resources, when, where, why, and how, we tend to see remarkable transformations in culture, in what we do, in how we vote, in who we vote for, but also in industry in supply chains and so the goal of the book is not to be hyper specific about exact implementations. one of the questions i get most often is what is life like in 2032 what do i do when i wake up what do i do when i get home from work and we can't truly know that just like understanding the internet in 1995 would not have revealed 2015. but i look at the atomic elements of 3d simulation of making the entire physical world legible to software and the ways in which we're already deploying it in surgery in healthcare to go to a grocery store and consider its significance.
0: Yeah, I take your point. I mean, the Pew Research Center just have a, a piece out about the metaverse in 2040. It's worse than speculative. It's science fiction. It's not even science fiction. It's Neil Stevenson kind of science fiction, which isn't taking itself that seriously. But I'm still not convinced with some of the more basic things. You talked about going into a store. Today, when people buy your book, uh, The Metaverse, and how it will revolutionize everything, and by the way, it is already a a bestseller on Amazon, so congratulations on that, Matt. They go to Amazon, they do it quickly, you you click on the book, you pay and you leave. How is that going to be any different? I mean, e-commerce is core, or even messaging, this kind of conversation, or instant messaging. We want, it seems to me, we want speed and we want simplicity, and... Certainly, the metaverse isn't simple. We're going to have to put on goggles every time we buy something. We're going to have to put on goggles every time we chat with our friends, our relatives. I, I'm not convinced that we really need it. That's, and you've heard this critique many, many times before. I take your point on surgery, but that's not um, a day-to-day, ordinary kind of activity.
1: Well, so let's also keep in mind that virtual reality devices are a way to access a 3D virtual world. They are not it themselves, not strictly required. And in fact, there was an interesting interview from Neil Stevenson, or rather a tweet storm, where he talked about one of the things that he got most wrong was the criticality of augmented and virtual reality. He makes the point that in the 1980s and early 1990s, it was reasonable to assume that for billions of people to go into virtual worlds, you would need immersive hardware. Keep in mind at the time Snow Crash was written, there were about 15 million people globally using the internet. And yet he observes that the future is always path dependent. And what we've seen is that there are hundreds of millions of people who will go into 3D environments using WASD, those are the keys on your keyboard for forward, back, right, and left. That billions of people do so with a flat touch screen where they obscure half of the device while they interact with it. And he makes the point that that was a good assumption, then it's no longer the correct one. These are just questions of how we access it. But I want to swerve away from this question of will we have virtual reality or augmented reality glasses and talk about, <coughs> excuse me, another application of 3D of 3D simulation which requires truly very little compared to what we have today, but answers your question of a video call or a telephone call. And that's the field of holography or holographics, which is rapidly advancing. Last year, Google unveiled its Project Starline Initiative. This is a telepresence booth of sorts, but what it's really doing is producing volumetric video as opposed to flat video. And they've shown that the improvements versus 2D are extraordinary. You see 50% increases in nonverbal forms of communication. Eyebrow movement, eye movement, hand movement, head nodding. A 30% increase in memory recall of the conversation and a 20% increase in eye contact. Eye contact's key because of course, you and I are not on video right now, but were we, I would have to stare at my camera, not you, so that you could see me staring back at you. And so my point here is that we find Zoom fatiguing. We actually know we don't like it. Nature had a brilliant report a few months ago showing that it taxes your brain so significantly that creative thinking, the parts of your brain associated with it, are severely depressed. But we're already seeing evidence that 3D presentation, recreation, takes an extant use case and significantly improves it.
0: What about the role of biometrics and biotech in all this? Seems to me most of us, and again, you don't need me to tell you this, most people don't want to put on these clunky AR, VR headsets that Zuckerberg is selling and Apple are rumored to come out with. But if they're integrated into our eyes or our arms, then it's a different matter. Do you believe that the metaverse depends in some ways on some profound revolutionary bio? technological revolution when it comes to the human body?
1: I don't believe it depends, but I think the more important question is to what extent is it reliant upon? And I I would differentiate them as critical versus additive. It is obvious that having more immersive devices will improve certain use cases. It will extend who accesses them and with what detail. So for example, There are a lot of limitations to how you can behave or interact or move using an analog stick and five buttons there's a disconnect between the immersion provided by the medium and your agency within it because we are complex you can move one of your toes and one of your fingers and there may or may not be a reason for doing that but you can do it but it's not possible in virtuality and so we do ask this question of how important are these new devices for that put another way the sophistication of the interface allows us to do more sophisticated things and right now that's limited we can all think of minority report and the extent to which tom cruise is interacting with digital information when you're talking about this question of will we really want to put on these devices this is where we come into the min spec question of course when is the device ready so that it is magical enough that is to say not ostensibly complex not burdensome enough and performant enough that it recedes 70% of Americans wear glasses. Most of the day, that's where most of the hope is, can we add more functionality to those devices without burdening the wearer? We're pretty far off from that, but we can imagine how improvements would substitute for the devices we currently use as many people have substituted out their watch for an Apple watch.
0: Some people are going to be watching this and feeling pretty chilled, Matthew. Um, You, of course, have made a career out of, I don't know if you're promoting the metaverse or selling the idea of it, but you're certainly an authority on it. And your brand, your name is very much associated with it. But of course, when most people think of the metaverse, particularly if it's inevitable, as you seem to be suggesting, they're wondering to themselves, is this a a good or a bad thing? Does this represent progress for the species? Or does it reflect some dark future? What's your view i'm sure it's nuance so the metaverse as it's described in snow
1: crash well really neil never explicitly weighs in on whether it's positive or negative but he nevertheless suggests that it worsens the world around us if not actively then passively by leading many of us to disengage with solving its problems in truth when you go through the history of science fiction as i mentioned pygmalion spectacles isaac Asimov's titles and more, it's rarely portrayed in a positive light. That leads to a valid and somewhat unfair criticism at the same time, which is the metaverse is a dystopic idea. We should recognize that drama is the root of fiction and human drama tends to be the most potent form of drama. And that's why we rarely see utopias in best-selling novels. They're not particularly interesting. When you take a look at the virtual worlds themselves, Roblox, Second Life, Early experiences in the 1970s, known as muds and mushes, they're very different. They're not dystopic, partly because why would we ever go to a place that isn't good, that feels oppressive, that subjugates us? But at the end of the day, whether or not we're looking at the past in fiction or interactivity, I'm of the mind that almost all technology is amoral. It's neither moral nor immoral. There are exceptions, of course. And therefore it's more of a question of how is it implemented? By whom is it implemented? Around which business models and philosophies? We can understand how virtual education might alleviate many of the problems that are afflicting our economy right now, cost creep and secondary education, access to educational resources, the inadequacy of e-learning today. But we can also imagine how it's used to capture more data, to inundate us with more ads, how it might be designed solely for widgets, and how putting aside those specific machinations the person who's in charge of it isn't someone we would want with more influence over our society that happens to be part of the reason why i wrote the book was to better inform especially regulators and governments but also users and developers that would be my perspective neither bad nor good certainly coming obvious benefits and definitely some risks.
0: in other words you're avoiding the question um I don't think yeah, I'm avoiding at, the question. I think you are, man. You've got to take, you've, you've written this book, you've got to take a position on it. You can't just stand back and say, well, technology isn't moral. And so it just depends on how it's applied. You're suggesting it's going to profoundly change the world. But then you're saying that you're not sure how. I mean, obviously, the technology and the business side is is given, but that's what people really want to know. Let me just suggest one thing on this. When I think of the metaverse i think of a lot of gameplay i mean there's certainly the, the models you use are minecraft and roblox and uh fortnite um uh, adopt me which you you write about a uh, uh and and the books that come to mind are neil postman's amusing ourselves to death and brave new world which are both books about a retreat from the world a focus on entertainment what about that critique that Um, the the metaverse represents uh, an escape into fantasy, a retreat from the world, a retreat from politics, from the physical. Uh, Is there anything in that? Or or do you think that's wrong?
1: Well, I want to hit your prior thing, because I categorically disagree that I'm avoiding the question. And I'll give you my best way of looking at that. We can easily imagine what the internet would look like were it corporately owned. It, It is not. Uh, There's no one who gatekeeps whether or not you can make a website, access a website. You're not charged to download a video per se. Of course, you have to pay for the broadband connectivity, but it's not at the protocol layer. The Internet Protocol Suite is public good. If you had to use Xfinity to make a Zoom, if you had to use the Xfinity branded version of a Zoom, if a JPEG was a file format that you had to license from Apple, we can imagine how an Internet designed to collect data, Sell a widget or present an ad would be different.
0: It's not, and I think that that is. But that's also debatable. I mean, a lot of people would argue that, given the winner-take-all nature of the digital economy, the the, the dominant players who own the the Apple App Store, the Apple App Store, or, 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 or Google, um, that they're essentially controlling the internet. But but that's another. That's another conversation, which is very complicated. I mean, we have a, a tiny handful of companies that are essentially controlling the internet. Of course, anyone can open a website, uh, but so what?
1: Well, uh, I'm more than happy to, to answer these that's questions. Another,
0: let, let, let's move on from that. Let, let's talk about the idea of the metaverse as a... Ret- I, I take your point, and uh, maybe we can have another conversation on another show about that, but what about this idea of the metaverse as a retreat from the world, as a, as, as a brave new world, the very brave new world that Huxley warned us about in the 1930s? Well, look, it's the most common way in which
1: that is criticized is to bring up images of Wally, a wasting away society that is strapped to a VR device. There's certainly validity in that. I'm a big believer in the outdoors. I used to be a professional firefighter. I spent weeks in a tent in the in swamps and grasslands, and that was an incredible part of my life and one that I will actually be returning to in two weeks. But we have to put this in context, and that is not to legitimize that current context, but it's important as a contrast. There are 300 million Americans who watch an average of five and a half hours of television per day An estimated two-thirds to three-quarters of that television time is solitary and sedentary. We're sitting on our couch watching something by ourselves. The metaverse is a more immersive, engaged medium. With others in it, with us, seems like a positive substitution of time, or at minimum, a positive diversification of time. I don't agree with the characterization of the government of Iceland. In a very funny video, I admit that we will no longer go hiking because of the metaverse. I don't believe that we'll stop going to a bar or a baseball match as part of it, but I do think it will be part of how we work, how we interact and parts of human leisure. I don't believe that that leads to necessarily adverse outcomes for us either.
0: You mentioned the environment. We've done many shows on on it. We certainly can't blame the looming environmental catastrophe on the metaverse. We did a show yesterday on plastics. which with Alice Marr, a well-known British environmentalist, about the impact of plastics on the environment. Do you fear that as we destroy the environment more and more, and as I said, we can't blame that on, on the metaverse, that the metaverse will become a substitute, will be the place that the vast majority of people um, experience as nature? I mean, for privileged people like you and I, we can still go travel, we can still go into nature. Nature won't be destroyed, but most people won't have access to it especially with rising tides and global warming?
1: Do I believe that most people won't have access to nature? No, I mean, most people do in some way, shape or form. The rising tides are gonna displace hundreds of millions, certainly, but I think to argue that the physical world is no longer accessible would be an exaggerated point. I do believe that this is at least going to make available parts of the world that are not accessible. When you take a look in the United States, I mentioned television consumption. The average senior over 65 watches seven and a half to eight hours of television per day. I don't know about you, but I don't hope to retire to spend up to eight hours per day in a retirement home. It's mostly because of those who do lack the physical ability to really enjoy any part of the real world, not just the outdoors, but what is literally on their doorstep. That, to me, is another example of some form of positivity, perhaps going into Iceland or others. But I do think that any argument that the metaverse is a substitute for the real world, that it makes the consequences of destroying the real world less, I think that would, of course, be positively absurd.
0: What about the impact on religion? Um, The metaverse creates another reality a virtual reality of course the idea of virtual reality was invented by the monotheists or perhaps even pre-monotheists how do you expect the metaverse if it does indeed revolutionize everything as you're suggesting what kind of impact will it have on religion
1: i can't profess to be anywhere near an expert on the field uh, nor can i in detail tell you about how that has evolved over the past 30 years through the advent of new technology. What I can do is talk about what we've observed with communities at large and some of the early faith efforts in virtual space. Of course, every year it becomes easier for communities around the world, often where they're underrepresented or barely represented in their local group, niche or town, to congregate. They have more tools to do so, increasingly financial tools, and they do so to greater effect. It's part of the reason why nerd culture, long considered fringe, now dominates nearly every form of modern media. In that regard, we should imagine that those religious groups become more known, more organized, the diffuse masses start to feel like a more tangible mass, especially in countries in which that specific religion is far from the primary. But we are certainly starting to see efforts of virtual congregation and faith. I write in the book about two particularly interesting examples. One was the uncensored library, not religious, but this is where Reporters Without Borders created a virtual reproduction of the Library of Alexandria through which they could disseminate literature in this case, which had been censored throughout parts of the Middle East, such as testimonials in the works of Jamal Khashoggi. Now, this was partly a bit of a gimmick. It's because sensors in that local area did not yet realize what could be distributed through these platforms, nor did they know how to shut them down. But we see this as a way to congregate, to share information, to collectivize in virtual space. We're also seeing other examples. Last year, though not particularly well executed, we're all learning how to do this. The Fortnite platform released an event around Martin Luther King, including parts of the Washington Monument and Mall, where you could learn about his history, his advocacy and his faith. We are certainly seeing synagogues and churches try to understand how digital communion can work, virtual engagement as they have been through the pandemic. Exactly how that manifests and whether or not we see virtual preachers more important with greater
0: social ties using holography or not, time will time will tell. Final question, Matt. Um... The metaverse, of course, is enormously important. I mean, whether or not one accepts your thesis completely, it's certainly one of the more revolutionary technologies around these days. The other one, or one of the other ones, is AI. We've done lots of shows on AI. We did one recently with Margaret Mitchell, who was a leading AI expert at Google before she got fired. Also with Toby Walsh, an Australian AI expert. Who talked about the need to maintain our human empathy in the face of machine learning and smart machines? How will the metaverse play out in terms of AI? What what is the connection between the two? As as you know, these big companies like uh, Meta, Zuckerberg's Meta. I mean, maybe it's a, a virtual reality company, but it's also an AI company. Google's an AI company. Apple and, and Amazon are AI companies.
1: You're quite right. And certainly when we take a look at some of the leaders such as NVIDIA, they're as important for the graphical processing units as they are for their machine learning, artificial intelligence, and computer vision. To the extent of which we think of the metaverse as spanning the digital and the physical, then these tools become essential. Creating and operating systems which span multiple different virtual simulations, bringing them together, brings rise to not only the questions of how do machines make sense of these complex environments, but what sort of artificial intelligence or virtual assistance do we need to navigate them? One of the fundamental adages in Silicon Valley is that a human should never ask a question a computer knows the answer to. And let me just jump into that. That is not they should never ask a question that a computer can't answer. It's that they shouldn't ans- ask the question because the computer should already have provided it. It's preempting the need. And that's where we talk about Bringing 3D simulation and virtual existence hand in hand with artificial intelligence and machine learning to facilitate our immersion into these environments.